You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Eternell. We are a expository preaching church. By that, we mean that we take a book of the Bible and we just work our way through that. And we have been in First and Second Samuel now for over almost two years. And it's been a great blessing this morning. We're going to be going to, the, to chapter 10 of Second Samuel. Now, Pastor was away, and um, that's why I'm here. They, it's just giving them a little break to breathe, having come back from Nicaragua. But I am not technically, in, I just am not good with technology. Let's just say it that way. So I don't have slides for you this morning. You're going to have to take your Bible, okay, and open it this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 10. And I am not going to read the whole of the chapter to you because there are names in there that I will slaughter. If you ever have to preach and you have all these different names from the scripture, they are terrible to try and pronounce. So I'm going to tell you the story. And we're going to look at a time in David's life when he was at his sweet spot. You know what a sweet spot is? That's where you've come and everything seems to be going wonderful. David had been out and, and had conquered so many of the different areas that actually were supposed to be given to Israel. If you remember back in the book of Genesis, Abraham was promised certain areas of land and David actually was able to, to conquer the people so that he possessed that land. He was a king indisputable. He was at a place where he could just rejoice in what God had done. And, and that was where he came to a place of pondering. And we saw last week with Mephibosheth, how he remembered those things that he had promised, the covenant he had made with Jonathan. And we, we saw how he reached out in kindness to Jonathan. But Jonathan was under a covenant. He was part of the people of Israel. But today, we're going to be looking at something a little different. We're looking at a man who was outside of the covenant. And you know, the kindness of God wants to be expressed to all people. And it, it tells us in Thessalonians that we are to always try to do good to each other and to all people. And isn't the message of the gospel supposed to be beyond just those that are our covenant people, those that were Jews? What was it to go? It was to go to the Gentiles. That's why we're included. And so we see that that's the situation that we find today. And we're going to begin in, in the 10th chapter and verse 10. It says, now it happened afterwards that the king of the Amorites died and Hanan, his son, became king in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of, of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. Now this was probably the, the eastern territory now that David uh, had, had come to, to be king over. And this man, he was the one that if you go back in the scripture when Saul first was anointed king, he came against a group of people the Jeb, from uh, Jabesh Gilead. 
and he was going to come in, and these were the people of God, but he wanted to come in, and he wanted to conquer them. And he said, I will, I will let you live, but there's something you have to let me do. You have to let me put out all your right eyes. Now, if you know anything about being a, a soldier, the right eye is very important if you're going to focus or if you're going to aim at something. And so he was going to take away from them any ability to fight. And they said, oh, wait a minute. Let, 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 let us see if we can find some people to come and help us. And, and if you remember, Saul, then just new king, was, was one who came in and was actually able to put Naash aside. So Naash never had a great love for, for Saul. And when David was running from Saul and had been mistreated by Saul, it seems like there must have been something that happened that Naash opened his arms to David. Because he says here, there was a kindness shown to me by Nahash. Well, now Nahash dies. And David, do you, you ever get into a situation where you want to do something for somebody and it ends up turning out just the opposite of what you really wanted? Like it goes flat. Not only goes flat, causes you trouble. And so that's kind of what happens here. Because here we find that, that David wants to show kindness now to this son who's just lost his father, who because of his father's kindness to him, he wants to, to kind of show his condolences. And he sends out his servants. And it's interesting here. It says in, so David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the, the Amorites, the princes of the Amorites said to Hanan, their lord, do you think that David is honoring your father because he sent these, these consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city, to spy it, and to overthrow it? Whoa. These counselors begin to throw an ugly light on why David had sent those servants to him. What was meant for good was now going to be looked down upon and there was going to be suspicion involved in it. Well, why would they feel that way? Well, what had David just done? He had conquered all these various people that had been his enemies in the past. And didn't they maybe rightfully think, oh, Maybe he is. Maybe he's just coming to see what we have here. Maybe he's coming so that he can be a spy. And, and, you know, they came with this negative report. Do you know they say it takes five or six positive reports to kill a negative one? So whenever we speak something critical or negative, Remember that it's got to be about five or six good things said about that situation for people to change their heart. So here we find that this advice was really poor advice, and it goes on to tell us something in the book of Ephesians about Gentiles, and that's what these people were. That's what we are. See what it says about it. Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own mind, it tells us in Ephesians. 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. People outside of God walk in the blindness of their own heart, of the things that they feel, of the things that they suspect. And that's where these people were. In verse 4 of chapter 10, it says, So so Hanan took David's servants, and he shaved off half of their beard and cut off their garments to to the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. Whoa, that's pretty bad. If you want to make somebody angry when you have sent ambassadors for good, I would think that this was a great thing to make them angry. The beard was always symbolic of the factor of, of being a, a free person. It was, it was manhood. Um, we have people today that are growing beards a lot more than ever before. And it's, it's symbolic of manhood. And to have half your beard shaved off, especially in that day, that was just, there you go. (laughs) Have half your beard shaved off in that day was a tremendous insult. It was an embarrassment. Not only (laughs) did they shave off half their beards, but they cut their garment off to the hips. So they exposed them in a very horrible manner. (laughs) And one of the things that especially probably was exposed was the symbol of their covenant circumcision. See, to those heathens, they thought that was terrible. Can you imagine these men being in that condition and having to run through and be mocked by these people? They drove them out. Just imagine. What kind of feelings would be there? What those men would have liked to have done to these people? What David might have wanted to do? This was not the reaction that David had expected. And so we see that in this case, he tells them something. He says, now you just wait, you go to Jericho, and you stay there till your beard grows. Do you know that sometimes when insults come, the Lord has to set people aside for a while to give them opportunity to heal from the things that have happened. And I think this was an opportunity that David said, don't react, I'll take care of this. (laughs) You just go to Jericho and you wait till your beard's grown and then you come back. You just take some time. We find that Hanan actually, by this outrageous act, aggravated a situation that we're going to see through the rest of this chapter. We see that this man, Hanan, had come and made a conspiracy, a, a, a confederation with other kings. Nobody was liking David who didn't have a heart for David. And you know, no one loves Jesus who doesn't have a heart for Jesus. People that have no heart want to let God rule in their lives 
have no heart for the care of that one. And so we see that, that this confederation was made. This man, Hanan, in, actually instituted. David didn't aggravate the situation. David did, wasn't the instigator against, to cause this battle. It was this man. And the scripture, it's kind of interesting. It says that, that they, um, they called it odorous. It says that um, when they realized that they, this was odorous, what they had done to David, he realized, I better get some people to back me up because he's probably gonna come and fight me. But that was not necessarily what David had planned to do until they gathered this conglomeration of other kings against him. This was similar to a declaration of war. <laughs> you remember in the book of Samuel where Samuel called all of the people up to Mizpeth, and the Philistines looked at what Samuel did when he gathered the people together as a declaration of war, and they came up against them. Same principle we see here. It says that David, David then, it says, when the people of Ammon realized how seriously how they had angered David, Hanan went and he, he sent, sent 75,000 pounds of silver to hire chariots and charioteers, is what it tells us in the sixth verse. And they joined the Amorite crew, and they, and they recruited them to their own town. So what we see, in, and if you go into 1 Chronicles chapter 19 and 8, you will find this very same story. And sometimes it says it's just a little bit better than we find it in Samuel. But it says that David heard about this, and he sent Joab and all of his warriors to fight them. In the King James says, he sent a host of his mighty men. You know, I, I look at that thing about mighty men. When David was in the cave of Adullam, when he was running from Saul, do you remember what happened? It was people who were in, in debt, in distress, and discouraged that came to David. Came to a place where they were hiding, so to speak, to get away from what the regime of Saul was. But what do we see David doing with that group, the in debt? <laughs> the discouraged, those that were in despair. He was able, by the help of God, to make a mighty group of men. They saw him, they saw how he reacted to things, just like Jesus made a mighty group of men as they walked with him, and they saw him go through the things that he did. That 12 men, in a sense, chosen by God, even though one falls away, turns the world upside down. And so mighty men are made through hardships, aren't they? And so David sends out Joab with these mighty men to come against them. And it says, and Joab saw, and I want you to see there's, there's some phrases used here. It says, and when he saw, and it put the different people in. When they, um, Hayan, Hayan, 
Hanan saw what David was doing. He or thought about what David was doing. He went and gathered his worldly thinking, gathered all of these troops together. But four times, five times, we see these words, and he saw, and then there's an action that comes after that. So here, he, when he saw, he gathers troops. When, when Joab saw the troops that were coming up against him, he realized, oh my, <laughs> I've got people on one side and I've got people on the other side of me. I'm smack in the middle. We've got problems. And so what does David do? It tells us that he divided his troops. He took the elite and he fought against those who were mercenary uh, soldiers, those that had been hired. He fought against them. And he took, he sent his brother, Abishai, to go and fight against the ones that were back associated with the city of Ammon. So we've got two separate places. And then he says to, to his brother, he says, now, if they get too strong for you, those Ammonites, then I'll come and help you. But if these, these mercenaries get too strong for me, then you come and help me. Pay attention to what's going on. But what he goes on to say is even more beautiful. He says, be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people, for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Now, we know Joab. Joab's a rascal. Joab has killed people out of, out of desire for position. I almost think this might be a, a foxhole religion. <laughs> he is in dire straits. But he comes to recognize that there's only one way that we're actually gonna get out of this, <laughs> and that's if the Lord undertakes. Yeah. And boy, don't we have to learn that. We could trust in men's abilities to kind of, I mean, we trust in our armies, we trust in all these things, but they'll mean nothing if the Lord's not on our side. And so it goes on to say there are three points in this speech that we find that, that Joab makes. He says, be of good courage. Do you know, courage doesn't come out of feelings. It doesn't come out of looking at your circumstances. Courage comes out of making a choice. Making a choice to believe what you know God has said. And the scripture says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. No, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's where courage comes from. We're trusting in what God can do rather than what we think we could do. These, these Amorites were, were trusting in what they thought they could do. But notice what it goes on to say, and, and another point here. Also, be strong in, for what? For the cities of our God and for the people. Do you realize that when we take courage, it's not just for ourselves? There are other people watching. We're affecting other people. When we get into situations like this where there's, there's fronts on both sides 
and only God can take us out. Other people are watching. The battle is bigger than ourselves. We have to remember that. And then it says, may the Lord do what is good in his sight. That was the third point. So what, what we see is Joab prepared all he could for the battle. We're supposed to prepare all we can for the battles. But we have to know that the ultimate victory will come from our God. And so Joab and the people that were with him drew nigh to the battle. It tells us in the 13th verse of, of 1 Chronicles 19. They drew near to the battle against these people, against the, the, the mercenaries and against those people that were coming out of the city of Ammon. And what happened? They just drew near. It doesn't say they even fought. They just came out. And the promise of God that was given back in the book of Exodus, we find here. And it says, it's actually in the book of Deuteronomy. It says God promised that there would be blessing to those who were obedient to him. And it says, the Lord will conquer your enemies when, you, when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction and he will scatter them in seven. So when we're in right relationship with God, when we've put him as the main focus of, of our need to be met, he's going to work on our behalf. And in this particular case, it doesn't even say in this battle that they fought. Came on the scene, God was on their side. Boy, those enemies just fled two different directions. I like that. I like it when God fights my battles. And the scripture says, and Joab returned to Jerusalem. Well, that's that, right? God undertook, both of these enemies fled. He goes back to Jerusalem. But those mercenaries had their tail between their legs when they fled. They had been paid to do a job that they failed to do. They looked bad. And you know when people look bad, they want to make up for that. And so we see that they came again to, to try to defeat Israel. And it says, when these, these people saw, so this is, this is again another place, when they saw that, that they had been defeated by Israel, they weren't going to put up with that. So they came again. You know, our enemy doesn't give up just because he got beat a time or so, does he? It's interesting in the scripture how even after Jesus was tempted, how Satan looked for another opportunity later on. He looks for another opportunity. He doesn't quit. And so we see that the enemy didn't give up but looked for a more opportune time and here it was. What did this, what did this mercenary king do? He went and gathered a whole bunch of other people that were different than the ones from before, even more. And he comes up against them. It says in First Chronicles that when David heard, 
what was happening. He mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and positioned his troops in battle formation. Then David engaged these mercenary troops in battle, and he fought against them. And again, they fled from the Israelites. This time, David for David's forces killed 7,000 of the charioteers and 40,000 footmen, including their leader. And when Hadadezer, who was the, uh, the king of this mercenary group, when he sees this happening, okay, here's another, when he saw, what did he do? He saw that he was defeated by Israel and he surrendered to David. And he became his subject. And what else did he learn? I'm not gonna sell myself back to those Amorites ever again. You know, we can, we can we actually discourage the devil. We can bring him into a place where he, after defeat and defeat, and the time that he suffers those defeats because we've stood up and believed God, he can get discouraged. Don't you want to discourage the devil? I want to discourage him. And so we see that, that here he no longer, these men are no longer willing to come up against Israel. Why? Because God fought for Israel. He was the one that was captain of the hosts. Now this chapter ends with unfinished business. The, these men were defeated, these mercenaries, but there was still that group that were the Amorites. And what had they done? They fled back into their city. So they were still a problem, just not right at this moment. But we're going to find out as we go into the next two chapters how if it's actually setting the stage for what happens with David and Bathsheba and also what happens with Uriah. It's setting the stage because that enemy wasn't totally defeated. We can't let the enemy in the land. We can't go only so far. It will cause us problems later, and it caused problems for David. Now, you say to me, okay, Pastor Kathy, that's a nice story, you know, but what does this mean for me? How does this fit into my life? Well, the Lord intends, doesn't he, to show kindness to all of mankind. He desires that the good news of the gospel go first forth to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It's his desire to show kindness. And what does he use? He uses his servants, doesn't he? And who are we? His servants. And so he sends out his servants. That's us to show kindness. I love that scripture that says, how beautiful are the feet of them. <laughs> who bring good news. Do you know you've got beautiful feet? I always think of our feet as something you don't want to bother too much with. But beautiful feet are those who carry the kindness of God 
through the glories of the gospel. What should we as servants of God expect? When we go out with good intentions <laughs> to share the truths of God with people, oh, they're just going to embrace us and love us, right? It doesn't happen that way. So many times we're ridiculed, embarrassed, people are suspicious about us, just like it was in this case with David's servants. But they obeyed what their master asked them to do. You know, some things will not be very pleasurable to us, but we obey our master. We've got to be prepared when our best intentions are exposed to suspicions and abuse. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 16, it says, anyone who accepts your message also accepts me. We've got to keep this in, in, in remembrance. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God. Do you see how valuable you are? That when your message of kindness, of the good news of the gospel is rejected, it is that they've rejected Jesus. And when they reject Jesus, they've rejected God. So it's an amazing we're linked right with him. And then sometimes there are seasons when we've carried forth the truth of God's word, where we're crushed by the circumstances, we're hurt so deeply. But you know, there's an allowance of our God for us to find just, just a place of repose, a place where it's a season where God lets us heal. And those of you that have been in a place where you've been crushed and hurt in the process of carrying the truth of the gospel, you've been hurt. Sometimes the greatest hurts come out of our own churches. <laughs> but we've been hurt. And the Lord gives us time to heal, just like he did these men. And then there's no attempt on these servants to to avenge themselves. And even Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. But what did he say? What did he say? He left his case in the hands of a God who judges righteously. Scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Are we willing? to leave the set of circumstances where people have come against us or hurt us and leave it in God's hands and believe that he's going to take care of it. He will. And then, don't be discouraged because in Second Chronicles, listen to these words about what happens when his people are mocked. It says, but the people of mocked those messengers of God, and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained. 
Boy, you get God mad enough at a situation. <laughs> and he's going to come and, and fight for your best. What else should we learn from this? That indeed, our enemy repeatedly tries to defeat us. He's relentless. Don't think that when you've won one battle, you're all right. And when we are called out to go to battle, as David's troops were called out, what did Joab do? He did everything he knew to be able to fight in that battle. What are we to do? We're to put on the armor, aren't we? So we can fight in the battle so that the enemies coming against us is not going to be able to defeat us. But what else did Joab know? You gotta leave it in God's hands. The best fighting we can do, the best things we can do, the, the most talented way we can do things to be able to, to uh, make things the best battle possible without the Lord, without his touch and anointing upon what we do, means nothing. He knew he had to depend on the Lord for that victory. So what do we see? There's got to be choices made, right? I will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. James comes along and he says something and I go, oh, he says, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of troubles. Oh boy. How many of us can say we've jumped up and spun around for joy when we've had trouble? But the scripture says that those troubles test our faith. And our endurance gives us a chance to grow. Don't look those trials, don't look those hard places that come to you because you're wanting to live this Christian life and you want to share the truth. Don't let those things stop you. But count that joy that God is going to do a work inside of you and produce an endurance you've never had before. Remember we said that the battle is bigger than just our battle? Well, it says in Acts chapter 20, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the works assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I'm worth nothing. My life is worth nothing if I think I'm going to use it for any other thing than to make sure that we're propagating the good news of the gospel, that we're making a difference in others' lives. And then remember the last part of, of Joab's words. He said, Lord, do what is good. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. What is the truth you're gonna have to know? That the ultimate outcome, the ultimate victory <laughs> is in the Lord's hands.
And you know, there's a psalm that David writes, the second psalm. And I want you to hear it because I think this was David's real heart as he looked at all of the things that were happening. And it says, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time in futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against, together against the Lord and against his anointed one. But the one who rules in the heaven laughs. We need to hear that right now in relationship to our nation and the things that are coming against it. And realize that when we put our focus where our focus needs to be, the Lord looks at the things that men are trying to do to destroy and defeat, and he laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem and on my holy mountain. David wrote that. That was his assurance. God sitting in the heavens and he's laughing at all these people that are trying to, to defeat the purposes of God. And he, in his time, will bring about their ultimate defeat. Shall we pray? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.